Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Well, good morning. So glad that you are here. As Jamie said, my name's Ben Moss. I want to give a quick shout out to the Frogs. You had a great win yesterday. Go Frogs. I often don't have the chance to do this, so I'm going to do it now. But I just want to honor our lead pastor, Jamie Miller, for the way that he has led us. Yeah, amen. And I'm just so thankful for Jamie's heart. And it is hard to find a man who has a heart that is more fully given to Jesus. And I'm, I'm just so excited for the way Jamie and Kim are going to continue to lead us into everything that God has for us as a church. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, if you have been with us, we have been in a series called The Life-Giving Church. And this morning, I want to give us one new command that will help us walk in this call to be the life-giving church. And if you're anything like me, you may not have necessarily grown up understanding the full purpose of the church. When I was a freshman in college, I can remember just struggling with depression. And if you've ever struggled with depression, you know that it can be pretty discouraging sometimes. And I remember one night, I won't go into detail, but I had an encounter with Jesus in my dorm room my freshman year, and it radically changed my life. I remember that night bowing my knee to Jesus and saying, Lord, you can have full control of my life. That next day, I went to one of my friends and I said, what's my next step? And he said, well, you need to get plugged into a church. And that next Sunday, I went to church and I discovered that it was in the church that I could experience the fullness of God's purpose for my life. That there was no place for me to better understand who God had made me for than the local church. And 10 years ago, I made that decision to be a part of the church and I never turned back. One of my favorite verses about the church is Matthew 16, 18, and it says this, I will build my church, everybody say church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail, overcome it. If you uh, know William Tyndale, he's a man who translated a lot of the modern translations that we have of the Bible. And when William Tyndale translated this specific verse, Matthew 16, 18, he translated that word church to a German word, the German word Kirke. And that word Kirke actually meant place. And the problem with that translation is that the original manuscripts of the scripture didn't translate church into place, but into assembly. Because assembly meant people a gathering of Jesus' followers. So that Greek word, ecclesia, that we see in our Bibles, it should have actually been translated assembly or gathering. And so down through the years, we have assumed church to mean place. And so we ask somebody, are you going to church versus are you being church? Guys, the power of the local church is that we're not a place, but a people, and a people with a mission and a purpose. You say, what's that purpose? Well, look back at this verse with me, Matthew 16, 18, at the second half. 
It says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So think about a gate for a moment. What does a gate do? Not very much. It's stationary. It doesn't move. It's stuck there. The gates of Hades are on lockdown. What do you, what do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. The gates of hell are on the defense, but the church is on the offense. The gates of hell will not overcome. And people have tried to take down the church for centuries and have not been successful. Guys, we as the church will overcome. We will prevail. Turn to somebody next to you and say, we are the church. We are the church. And this morning, as we talk about that one new command that Jesus has given to us, I want to help us become the 21st century church. And I put that two in parentheses there because I want to encourage us that we are becoming the first century church. We're not becoming radical. We're becoming normal. What Jesus was teaching in the first century church is normal. It's just been called radical in our day. And so often, guys, we can slip back into old ways of thinking about the church. And so this morning, I'm going to refer to those old ways of thinking as the old temple model. I'm going to say it again, the old temple model. And if you look at religious history, you will find a similar story in almost every major religion in the world. You'll find this old temple model. Ancient Greeks, Babylonians, Syrians, Jews, many parts of the world, even today, and even in our own church history, there is the old temple model. And here's what the old temple model has. It has four essential elements. It has a sacred place, a sacred text, sacred men, and sincere, or you might call them superstitious, followers. So let's break it down a little bit. It has a sacred place. Usually there's a quiet, reverent place And all we know is that something special happens there. And only the elite can go in. Maybe you have to take off your shoes or you might have to cover your head. And then there's a sacred text. And usually that's an inscription or something that's been written down, documents that have been translated or copied year after year over and over again. And then there's sacred men. And these sacred men usually have possession of the sacred text, and they tell all the sincere followers that if you don't behave, God's going to get you. And the reason that I know that is because I'm a sacred man with a sacred text, and I worship in a sacred place, and I can say that. So people lived in fear. And maybe some of you are still resistant to the church today because of this type of experience. And then finally, there's sincere followers or superstitious followers. And these followers are dependent on others in order to understand where they're at with God. And maybe others of you have a hard time relating to the church because you don't want somebody else to tell you how to live out your faith. And guys, if we really examine ourselves, we'll come to realize that all of us have a little bit of the old temple model inside of us. You might have a little bit of the old temple model inside of you. If you're not trying to get close to God, you're just trying to avoid sin. That's old temple model thinking. Or you might have a little bit of the old temple model inside of you if you feel more guilty about missing church than the way you treated your coworker. Maybe you have some of the old temple model inside of you if other people's failures 
elicit feelings of superiority instead of compassion. Well, they're a de- de- Democrat, they're a Republican, they're a, they're a Presbyterian, they're a Baptist, they're a Catholic, they're whatever. If someone else's failures make you feel better about yourself instead of breaking your heart, you might have some of the old temple model inside of you. Last one. If you believe your theology can get in the way of your love for Jesus and your love for others, you might have some of the old temple model. Can you imagine if we were free from these things, from these thoughts? What if we woke up in the morning and we knew that God was 100% for us? You know what? There is great news. When Jesus shows up onto the scene, guys, he launches something that is brand new. It's not old temple model 2.0. Jesus inaugurates something brand new. How does he do it? Well, he raises the standard so high and he levels the playing field completely and then offers himself as a sacrifice for the entire world so that he could establish a brand new covenant. Jesus starts a revolution. And the arrival of Jesus signals the end of the old temple model and the beginning of something brand new. And this one command, guys, would be far less to remember. We wouldn't have to kill anything. Nothing else would have to die. All the blood that needed to be shed would be shed. And where the old temple model came to establish a place, Jesus came to establish a people. And where the old temple model guarded the sacred text, Jesus came and said, I now am the word made flesh. Look to me and you'll find your answers for life and for godliness. And where the old temple model had sacred men, Jesus steps in and says, you now are made in the image of God. God sees you as holy and as pure and as righteous. You are royalty and I call you sacred. And where the old temple model had superstitious followers, Jesus steps in and he says, through my blood shed on the cross, you now have direct access to God. You don't have to go through sacred men, but you can go straight to the Father and have a personal relationship with him. Two more for you. Where the old temple model was geographically specific, Jesus said, I'm launching something that's for all people, for all ethnic groups, for all generations, for all time. And where the old temple model was you-centered, the Jesus model would be they-centered. And guys, with this old temple model, it had a lot of rules, a lot of rituals that we had to follow. But Jesus steps in and he changes everything. Jesus says, a brand new command I give you. And if you get this one command right, Jesus would say, you don't even need all the other commandments because this one command would trickle down and it would affect every relationship that you have. You ready for the one command? John 13, 34 through 35. Here it is. A new, everybody say new. new. Command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus gathered people around a very simple idea And on that very simple claim, this one new command, the church was born. Can you imagine, guys, if we as Christians took this one command seriously? 
How might it transform our schools and communities and neighborhoods? Jesus steps in and he says, old temple model, you're gone. A new command I give you. Church life apart from the loving one another's is empty, boring, and drained of life. Church life with this new command in John 13 is exciting, adventurous, faith-filled, and life-changing. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, Ben, I really like this command that you're talking about, but I'm just having a hard time really believing that I can embrace that in my own life. I want to put hope inside of your heart today by showing you the story of a man named Paul, formerly called Saul, who struggled with old temple model thinking, but had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. If you turn with me to Acts 22, verse 3. We're going to tell a little bit of Paul's story here. It says this, Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as, just as jealous for God as any of you are today. Wow, Paul lived an old temple model lifestyle. He knew the law. He knew the scriptures. He was a sacred man who had access to the sacred text and he worshiped in a sacred place until one day he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything. Hop down in the same chapter, Acts 22. Go to verse 6 with me. This is Paul speaking. It says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Then hop down to verse 14 in the same chapter. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? I love that. Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Paul's old temple model lifestyle comes face to face with an encounter with Jesus. And Paul would back up his life change in 1 Corinthians 6.19 when he said this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Wait, whoa, 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 what? Your your bodies are are temples? I I thought a temple was a, a place that you go. Paul says, no, no, no. That's old temple model thinking. Through Jesus, you now are a temple. A temple of what? Well, finish out that verse with me. It says, of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. And if that same spirit that used to dwell in the temple of God in the Old Testament now lives inside of you, guess what that means? It means that you're sacred. And it means that you can never go anywhere else more sacred than yourself. Sacred places are over because now you are sacred and you are sacred and you are sacred. You're indwelt and filled and empowered by the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave. You're made in the image of God and that Holy Spirit that inhabited a holy temple now inhabits you. 
and the Christian to your left and to your right and the man in front of you and the woman behind you and the child that's running to you, they too now are sacred. Paul finishes up his life change by saying this in Galatians 5, 6, and I really hope that you get this. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He got it. The Hebrews of Hebrews, the scholars of scholars says, the only thing that counts is faith expressed how? Through love. Through love. Sound familiar? A new command I give you, love one another. If you're struggling this morning to believe that you can walk according to this new command, I hope that Paul's story fills you with hope. But here's the reality, guys, of this new command that Jesus has given us as a church. It's far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. Moses had 10 commandments. Jesus had one. But it's more demanding because in the old temple model, there's a place to hide. But when it comes to the new command that Jesus has given us, there's no place to hide. There's no loopholes, no workarounds. There is no shortcuts to love. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you three practical ways that I believe we as a church can embrace this new command that Jesus has given us. The first one is love the you. Love the you. Jesus would say later on, to love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, if we get that Jesus died for us, then we'll understand that he's for us. And once, that, and once we get that Jesus and our Father are 100% for us, that there's no sin, nothing that can separate us from his love, that his grace has no measure, has no limits, once that settles in your heart, that becomes the context by which you then can love others. I remember in college, I would struggle some with insecurity. And I would just doubt myself and I would get discouraged pretty easily and just get frustrated if I said something or I did something. And I went to one of my friends and I said, uh, how do I overcome this? And he said, Ben, here's what you need to do. You need to go into your bathroom and you need to say out loud whatever lie it is that you're believing about yourself. Say it in the mirror and then just begin to laugh. So I'd walk in my bathroom, I'd say the lie, and then I'd just, ha-ha, ha-ha, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, ha and I would just laugh at myself. And I tell you what, guys, when I did that, it just broke off the back of insecurity. Because what happened is it created space in my heart for me to receive the identity of who I really was in God. It's hard to love one another if we can't first love ourselves. Second practical for you. First one's love the you. The second one is love the you beside you. So it's not just loving yourself, but it's loving your neighbor as well. So if you're a Republican, it means you love the you that's on the left of you. And if you're a Democrat, it means you love the you that's on the right of you. Following Jesus... If you didn't get that, it's okay. Following, <laughs> following Jesus is an invitation to give up a you-centered life and to focus on the you beside you. Jesus would back that up in Matthew 25, 38 through 39 when he said this to his disciples. 
when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? And the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, we didn't see you a stranger or invite you in. Or needed clothes and clothe you. The disciples go, Jesus, we never gave you clothes. Or when did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? I mean, Jesus, we knew you were in prison, but we didn't go to visit you. And then get what Jesus says in verse 40. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever. Everybody say, whatever. You did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. You did for me. Whatever you did for them, you did it for me. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of getting to go down and help with our Antioch movement's efforts in helping victims of Hurricane Harvey in South Houston. And I was struck by a particular story of one of our teams that was working down there. And what happened was our team was doing demolition on a specific house. And the neighboring house next door, the owner of the house walked out and started a conversation with a contractor who had come to tell her how much it was going to cost for her to be able to save her home. This contractor told her it would cost you $7,000 if you wanted to do demolition. The woman begins to cry as she realizes that she can't afford it and she may not be able to save her home. One of our team members overhears this conversation and as the woman's walking away, walks up to her and says, ma'am, if you'll allow us, we'd like to do that for free for you right now. The team is able to restore the home. They do all the demolition that's needed. They pray for the woman. They invite her to church. And it's a powerful story of what it means to love the neighbor beside you. Guys, can you imagine if every morning we woke up and just said, God, how can I love the you that's beside me? I mean, there are so many opportunities for us to be able to do that every day. Love the you beside you. Final practical for you. Walking in this new command, love your community. Love your community. I love here at Christ Fellowship that we are passionate about community, that we are serious about being invested in one another's lives. And so instead of telling you how I think we can walk out this aspect of the new command in loving our community, I want to show you a story of a man named Carl Goley, who is actually my former college pastor in Waco, to help you understand what this looks like. Take a look. Hey guys, my name is Cameron and I'm a leader here in the college ministry. And I wanna tell you a quick little story about God's abundant grace and provision in the midst of an awesome community. So you may or may not have heard or seen on Twitter a few weeks back that our main man and friend, Carl Gully, has been having some car issues and he's been having to borrow a little yellow bug. And we all know that no man should ever drive a little yellow bug, ever. So some friends and I were hanging out. We started talking about how much we love Carl and his family and how we really wish we could help him out. We started thinking, wait, could we really help them out? Could we actually get him a car? Is that possible? Is that crazy? I mean, surely we could at least get them something that won't be in the shop every other week and could get them from point A to point B, right? So naturally we did what every guy would do in this situation and we dove in head first and started looking at cars all over Waco until it dawned on us that we should probably pray about it first. So after praying about it, we came back and we felt like God said, not only do I bless my children, but I bless them abundantly. 
And that the heart of God is not just to fill our needs, but to fulfill the desires of our heart. And I know personally that Carl has been dreaming of having a truck for a really long time. So would it be possible to not just get him something that would get him by, but to actually get him something that he would really love? I mean, how much more of an amazing testimony of the power of community and the amazing love and grace of God would it be if we got him a massive man truck? You know what I love about you guys? You guys are a group of passionate followers of Jesus who hear the voice of God and respond wholeheartedly. So when we presented you guys with a crazy idea that we could bring together every life group and raise money to abundantly bless someone, not only did you respond, but you blew any and every expectation out of the water. Guys, you raised over $10,000 in less than two weeks. That is absolutely amazing. And I wanna show you guys exactly what it looks like when a community of believers rallies together, thinks bigger than themselves, says yes to God, and decides to bless someone's face off. Amen. God has made us to be this kind of community to one another. I was talking with Carl a little bit this last week, 
And he described this experience in this way. He said, I was breathless. The next day I saw J.R. Baker, who was one of his friends in the parking lot. He said, dude, y'all do things differently around here. He said, when I left my last church, all they did was give me a few gift cards. You're not even leaving and they give you a truck. He said, how do you build a church like that? Guys, can you imagine if we were a church like that? If we loved one another so wholeheartedly as a community that testimonies like this were just normal? Love yourself, love one another, and love your community. The hallmark for us as Jesus followers is this new, is this one command, love one another. And on this one command, Christianity thrived for its first 300 years. I believe it can happen again. This one new command is for all of us. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus died so that we could overcome the old temple model lifestyle and live according to this one new command so that we truly could be the 21st century church. And what would happen, guys, if we live life in this way? Well, they would truly know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they would know that we're Christians by our love. Amen? You can be standing. Our worship team will come forward as well as our ministry team. Believe this morning that there is a call for all of us to embrace this new command that Jesus has given to us. And if you're here this morning and you're having a hard time embracing that, I believe that God wants to fill you with hope. And specifically, I believe that there might be two types of people here this morning. One, you're struggling to love yourself. And if you're honest with yourself, you're just having a hard time being confident in who God has made you to be. And that's limiting you from walking in God's purpose for your life. And I believe this morning that God wants to speak identity and truth over you. And he wants to put hope inside of you so that you can leave this place confident and secure of who you are in God. The second group of people, maybe you know who it is that God's calling you to love, the you beside you, and you're just struggling to have that step of faith this morning. And I believe God wants to put boldness inside of you to be able to do just that. But before we go into ministry time, I just want to invite everybody to close their eyes with me for a moment here. You know, we can't truly embrace this new command that God has given us unless we have Jesus, the Son of God, living inside of our hearts. And so this morning, I'm going to give an invitation. If you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, when I count down from three, I just want you to boldly raise your hand so I can pray with you. Three. Jesus holds the name that is above every other name. Two, he died on the cross and rose back to life to set you free from your sins so that you could live in the abundance that God has for you. Three, if you want to call on the name of Jesus for the first time, would you just raise your hand right now? Thank you, Lord. Amen. I see you. Yes, thank you, God. 
Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, and just with your hand raised, you can just pray this simple prayer in your heart or you can pray it out loud. You can say, Jesus, today I choose you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising back to life to set me free from my sins. God, today I choose you. I choose to run to you with my whole heart. Come and live inside of me, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Amen. You can open your eyes. Whatever your needs are this morning, we finish up our services like this every Sunday. We have leaders down here to pray with you. I want to invite you to be bold and come and receive the prayer that you need.